in 1 John 5, beginning at verse 13, and we will read to the end of the chapter, and this is the word of God. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. And we thank God today for his word and indeed for the book of First John. As you sat listening to that song, folks, and as you heard the choir singing, He Will Make a Way, perhaps the answer or the question that you raised in response to that was, well, will He really? Absolutely. Do, do you promise? Are you sure? You've heard Steve talking about it this, as well this morning. He, he knows that we can trust the Lord in all things. We acknowledge Him in all ways, and He will direct our paths. And you think, will He really? It's not a bold thing to be told this morning, to hear in song and to hear in testimony that, that even as a fire was threatening to swamp Echo Lake Bible Camp, there's the camp leader, Steve Duncan, confident and assured that the Lord was good, that the Lord would answer these difficult problems in the middle of a difficult summer. God will make a way. I didn't plan this. It's not up to me when, when Steve comes or what the choir sings. I, I didn't expect to hear that, but you know what? It ties in absolutely with what this passage is about this morning. John is about to wrap up this letter, and his concern is that you will know that God will indeed make a way. His concern is that you will have assurance, that you will know that you have eternal life. That's exactly what he starts these verses with in verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may be certain, that you may be sure, that you may be confident, that you may know that God will make a way. That you may know that in the midst of a fire sweeping through the mountains, that God will make a way. Maybe this morning, folks, you struggle to believe that, but certainly it is true. John Newton, a famous Christian, once said in the final days of his life, My memory is nearly gone but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. Imagine going into those final days of your life with that assurance 
with that rock-solid confidence and belief. I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. It is exactly that that John wants you to be confident about. And that is what this entire letter has been about. He, he writes, of course, as we know, in response to the, the Gnostics and the Docetists, these men and women who were preaching and teaching false things, they were saying that, that Jesus wasn't really a man, that, that Jesus was a spirit, that he didn't really die, all this stuff that they were pumping into the church. And John comes and he writes this letter and he speaks this truth and he says, I write this so that you will be sure and certain and confident that you will have that assurance in your life. If you know anything about John, you will know that this isn't actually a surprise. He says in John 20 and verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Here is this apostle, and at the heart of his ministry is this desire so that you will know that Jesus is the Christ and that you will be saved, and also that when you read this first letter, that you will know that you have this assurance, that you will have this eternal life. And friends, there are many things in this day and age of, of which we can be certain. And there are other things which, of course, are, are very much up in the air. We've talked about them before in these past weeks, the political situation and, and even your own personal situation. Things that you can look into and you can ask with, with perhaps a no small amount of uncertainty and you might say well really will God direct my path in this circumstance in this way really is the Lord going to make that way John writes and says child of God I write these things to you to you men and women of faith who have believed in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and it is there that we begin, and it is there that we pause a while, because there is nothing greater to know. And my friends, this morning as we sit here, and, and maybe you dream of going to Canada, or, or you just dream of having a quiet, gentle week this week, with no difficulties, no problems, no shouting or fighting, but may you know this morning that through faith in Jesus, you have not trusted in an empty promise, but through faith in Jesus you are saved. And through faith in Christ, you have eternal life. You have eternal life. You have eternal life. You may not have a back that helps you dig in the garden the way it used to. And you may not have a good pension pot, and you worked hard to try and provide something like that, and, and you fell short. You might not have all those things that seem so important, but if you have faith in Jesus, then you have everything. If you have faith in Jesus, then yes, he will make a way. If you have faith in Jesus, yes, that he will guard you and protect you, even when the, the, the fire is coming about you. If you have faith in Jesus, says John, then you can know that you have eternal life, that you are saved, that you will stand forever with Jesus. A highlight of my week, as many of you know, is when on Tuesday I get to go up the hill to the school and I teach uh, RE to P3, and then after lunch I teach RE to P7. I usually enjoy P7 a lot more than P3. The P3s 
tend to you know, be up to all sorts and you have to shout at them and threaten to put them in the corner. This year it's the other way around. The P7s are a bunch of clappets. And the P3s, well, they listen. And they're full of questions. And with the P7s, we, we've been teaching the Nicene Creed, uh, which came out of Nicaea in the 300s, all about Jesus and who he was. The P3s, we, we teach the Apostles' Creed. And we just work our way through it, and we finished last week, and we'll have our wee party this week. And we finished speaking about how we believe in life everlasting. Do you see the questions that come out of that? And normally you say, any questions, boys and girls? And they'll stick their hand up, and you'll say, yes, what's your question? And they'll say, my granny's got a brand new puppy. You think, well, that's got nothing to do with the Apostles' Creed, all right? Just sit there. But see, this week, hands up. What's heaven like, Scott? And you think, wow, that's a good question. And you get to talk about it. And the other hand goes up. Will there be football in heaven? And you get to talk about it. What's Jesus look like now in heaven? And you get to talk about it. And there's all these wee P3s this week really engaged about this notion that that Scott has come and said that, that we believe in the life everlasting. What's that like? What's it about? And I'm fairly confident that there are, are many we ones in that class who know Christ and have that assurance of everlasting life. But equally, there are many we ones in that class who do not know Christ and do not have that assurance. And so there's those wee hands wondering what this is all about because do you know what? It sounds quite good, doesn't it? It sounds wonderful that there's there's more to look forward to than, than a bypass in Balnehinch or Tesco's coming to our town. It sounds quite good that, that through faith in Christ, the best is yet to come. Friends, that's at the heart of the Christian message. And there's our brother Steve over in Canada last summer, and I wasn't there, and and maybe I'm putting words into people's mouths, but isn't it wonderful to think about a, a firefighter, a sweaty and dirty and, and frustrated that, that things don't seem to be working out and trying to fight against this fire to, to try and keep it back from burning down buildings and property. And, and at the heart of it, he's meeting these people that have this eternal hope that even if that fire burnt down every building in Canada, there is something greater to hope for. That blessed assurance that if you believe in the name of the Son of God, you will know that you have eternal life. Friends, today I pray that you have that assurance. And maybe if you've lost that assurance, and I pray the Spirit would work this morning and, and give you back double and triple and quadruple and whatever comes after that, because I don't know. I pray that you'll have that deep, lasting assurance that my life is a mess and this town frustrates me, and my wife does my head in, and my mother-in-law's not speaking to me. But you know what? In the midst of it all, I have this wonderful assurance that I am saved, and eternal life lies waiting for me. A blessed assurance is what we have sung and what we call that, and it is true. John writes and says, I've written this whole letter, not so that you can fight the Gnostics and the Docetists, not that you can have more knowledge than them and have great theological debates. He says, I write this letter, obviously dealing with all those things, but the primary concern is that you may know 
that you have eternal life. And he gives us a little glimpse into how we can have this assurance and how we can foster this assurance. He says we know that we have eternal life because we, in verse 14, know that we can draw confidently before the Lord. This is the confidence that we have towards the Lord. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. How can we know for sure? How can we have this blessed assurance? How can we be confident that we have eternal life? John says that that we pray. We have this assurance and it grows in us and it is fostered and strengthened and, and made more confident because we know that we can pray to the Father and ask anything according to his will and it will be done. John doesn't say, speak to the Lord and come with your big long list and he'll do it and he'll just click his fingers and that's how it works. Unfortunately, some people sometimes think that's prayer. It's, it's like a, having a genie in a lamp and he gives you your wishes and, and that's it. That's not prayer. John says in verse 14, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Sometimes the Lord, it is his permissive will to allow our house to be burnt to the ground in the midst of a firestorm. And sometimes it is his will that we go through difficult and hard days. There's no Christian in this church, I hope, that would tell you a falsehood that says Christians don't struggle. Because that's a nonsense. And every Christian I have ever met has times where they struggle, where they can barely get out of bed or, or where they don't want to be down here listening to the Word. And prayer seems like something that others will do because I certainly don't want to do it. The Christian life is not necessarily an easy life John says we pray. And when we speak to the Father and when we ask anything according to his will, he listens to us. And friends, this is the assurance that we have today that that when we sit in a room with other Christians and we pray our hearts out or when we cry out to the Lord before we go to bed at night that, that he hears us. Isn't that amazing? I heard our Prime Minister described this week as someone who has tone deaf. She doesn't listen. She won't listen to what I want or what anybody wants. She's she's just doing her own thing. The Lord God is not deaf to the cries of his children. We have that assurance because he invites us to speak to him. And we have the assurance that we have eternal life and that we have been wonderfully saved by the fact that we pray and by the fact that we pray for each other. In verse 16, we read that if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God and God will give him life. We have the assurance when we are looking out for our brothers and sisters in faith. And this morning, folks, I hope as Steve was talking, you were thinking, how can I pray for Steve? How can I pray for that that Muslim family who their little children have come to know Christ? How can I pray for those difficult children that that bite people, uh, that bite Steve and bite others? Do they send them home? How can I pray for the leaders out in Echo Lake? How can I pray this summer? Folks, I hope you were asking those questions. I really do. I hope you're going to pray for Steve. Maybe his face and the face of his family is stuck in your fridge somewhere. I know that that's what we do in our house. We get those wee prayer cards and they're in the kitchen. So just before you go in to stuff your face, you look at Steve Duncan or somebody else. Think maybe one day I'll have a body like big Steve. Where's those sausages, you know? 
But if you've ever had a concern for brothers and sisters in the Church of Jesus Christ, if you've ever prayed for the church in Korea, if you've ever prayed for the problems in the church in this town, John says that's a, it's a sure sign that, that you have eternal life, that you're concerned not just for yourself selfishly, it's okay to pray for yourself. But sometimes you see brothers falling into sin. You hear of situations in the church and you come to the Lord and say, Father, be with Steve Duncan. Father, be with the church in Korea. Father, be with the, the divided situations in Balaam. And then there comes an awkward spot. I will we'll not spend all day on it, folks, but John says, look, if, if you see a brother committing a sin not leading to death, you shall pray for him. But he also says that there are those who commit sins leading to death. And I do not say at the end of verse 16 that one should pray for that. Or, or in other words, I don't say that you should be inquiring of God who has committed that sin or not. And you might think to yourself, well, what is the sin that leads to death? Because surely all wrongdoing is sin. All sin leads to death, doesn't it? John kind of says that in verse 17. He says, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead unto death. What John is speaking about here is the unpardonable sin. If you know the gospel account, you know that Jesus in Mark 3 says that all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. It is this same sin that Paul speaks of in Hebrews 6. He says it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Mark, John, and Peter, or Paul are all speaking about the same thing. The unpardonable sin that cannot be forgiven. And what is that unpardonable sin? Well, it is assigning to the devil the works of God. Jesus here teaches this in light of the fact that the Pharisees and the scribes were saying, Jesus is possessed by the devil. So they were saying, he's only doing this work because he is of Satan. And in response to that, Jesus says, this will not be forgiven you. When you assign to the devil the things of God, this is the unpardonable sin. And in Hebrews 6, Paul points us to the reality that there is a spiritual condition. That you can be someone that has sat in church, you've listened to sermon after sermon after sermon, maybe at a time you even professed Christ. But you were not really of Jesus. And it's the same in John, 1 John, because he says these docetists and these Gnostics, they were once off us. And they now have left us to show that they were never truly off us in the first place. Friends, the unpardonable sin, the sin that leads to death, as John says, is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It is taking the things of God and throwing them to the ground and trampling all over them and ascribing them to Satan. Friends, I have a sermon on that. And this week I will make sure it goes up online. It's from Mark 3. Uh, if you want to hear more, a whole sermon about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, it will be on our website, or Stanley Ray, 
uh, in the same field of bode, we'll print out a few CDs for you as well. But here's all I want to say about it this morning. John says we are to pray for one another. And if we are sure that someone has committed the unpardonable sin, well, we're not to inquire about that. We're not to pray about that. That is the Lord's business, and you and I are to be men and women of prayer. And men and women who are involved in prayer know that we have eternal life. But let me say quickly, and let me say gently, my friends, if you today know that your heart is hard against the things of God, if you today are not someone who enjoys a sermon but endures it, if you're only here once in a blue moon for the sake of it, the to get your ticket marked. If you are someone today that has persisted constantly in sin, once upon a time you sat in this church and, and maybe even professed faith, but have drifted from the Lord, if that is where you are today, and you know it, and God knows it, then my friends, I urge you and I beg you to return on to Jesus. Because there is a condition, a spiritual condition, where you are so hard and so anti the things of God that there is no way back sin leads on to death. It is not my business. I don't spend all day looking at your faces thinking, who has committed the unpardonable sin? I do not know. God knows. But if you are on a road that is that way and Jesus is that way, then flee to Jesus. We should not take these passages lightly that warn us there is a sin that leads on to death, an unpardonable sin, a spiritual condition where you are anti-Christ. But the child of God need not worry about that. The one who has believed in the name of the Son of God is saved and has eternal life. And we have assurance because we pray for ourselves and for each other. And we have assurance because Christ is our keeper. As we work towards the final uh, verses in this passage, John says in verse 18, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God, God protects him, and an evil one does not touch him. Here is the Christian life. Not a life of hardness towards the things of God, but a life where we desire the word of God, and we pray more, and, and study more, and, and love each other more. And in that life, we know that God is for us. He, he protects us. It is, as Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3, the Lord is faithful, and he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Here is our blessed assurance that our faith is not in vain. And our faith knows that we can speak to the Father, and our faith knows that Christ protects us and will keep us to the finishing line and looks after us from the schemes of the evil one. And in verse 19, we can be assured of this faith because we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. There was a moment this week I was listening to the radio. Uh, it was talk, talk sport. I enjoy that. I, you listen to the football and the debates. But a footballer this week made the bold claim that when he gets to choose between heaven and hell, he will choose hell because it's more fun. I thought, what? What are you talking about? And there was the, the presenter and his co-presenter, and they started to debate this. And the co-presenter said, well, I didn't think you get to choose, but that sounds good. Yeah, right enough, hell would be more fun. And the other presenter said, yeah, why, why would you want to go to heaven when it's just floating about in the cloud? That, that doesn't sound good at all. Yeah, I would choose hell too. 
I'm sitting there and it's not that I'm a spiritual giant, but you listen to that and you think, the world has no clue. It doesn't know what it's talking about. There's no assurance. They, they think somehow that they'll, they'll shake their fist at God and say, I'm going to the other place where there's lots of fun. Nonsense. We know that we are from God. We know that we are saved because when we look at the world, we see that it is in the power of the evil one. We see the decisions that are made in the name of goodness and righteousness, and we know that they are evil. We hear nonsense like that on the radio, and we realize that the world is lost and, and spiritually deceived. And by this, it doesn't give us the arrogance to say, well, what a good boy am I? But it gives us the assurance and it drives us to thanksgiving and it praises God that we are saved and we have eternal life. And finally, John says, we know that we are saved. We have this assurance because we delight in truth. Verse 20 says, we know that the Son of God has come. He has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. We are in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. The Christian's assurance comes from the truth that we have believed. And through 1 John, that is what is at stake. The, the Gnostics and the Docetists and all these false teachers trying to lead people astray to a false testimony of Jesus. But friends, you and I today are in the truth. We have that deep and precious and blessed assurance. Because we have trusted Christ who is the true God and eternal life. We don't make him out to be a ghost. We don't claim that we have deeper knowledge about him, that you have to follow our ways or you will never understand it. We acknowledge him as he is fully God, fully man, without sin, and able to save to the uttermost all who call upon him. And with this testimony that I preach and have believed and that hopefully you have received and claimed for yourself, with this testimony we flee from idols, as we say in verse 21, and run to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Friends, John writes this letter to give you peace and assurance and confidence that through faith in Christ you have eternal life. I pray, brothers and sisters, today, if you don't know it or have forgotten it or are weak in it, that maybe the Spirit would do a work in you today, that he would cause you to look to Jesus again and remember that that if you trust in him with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him, he will direct your path. And that path might be long and bumpy and hard, but you walk it with Jesus. This I know. This I am sure of. That those who have believed in the name of the Son of God may know that we have eternal life. This sermon is nearly gone. But today may you remember two things. That we are great sinners. But Christ
Christ is a great Savior. Amen. And we thank God today for his word.